Okay, Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be at today. Um, we're continuing our series, Refocus, and our hopes from this series is that we can get a clear view of uh, who Jesus is and what he taught from the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been in John for some time now, and we're, we're pulling out of that. It seems like John uh, emphasized Jesus' ministry uh, around Jerusalem. He was telling about how uh, Jesus was performing miracles and how he was teaching and how it was leading toward the cross. It was provoking the religious leaders. And so uh, we are now in Jesus' final six months. Really, we're probably in the last three to four months of this, okay? We saw the Feast of the Tabernacles. That would have been in the autumn. And then uh, whenever he started talking about, I am the Good Shepherd, he left for a little while. He came back. And that would have been around the time of the Feast of the Dedication in the winter months, okay? And we didn't cover that part of it, but that was just kind of a, an extension of what he had been talking about. And so anyway, now we're between the Feast of the Dedication in the winter and the Feast of the, the Passover where Jesus is going to be crucified. So just that final six or final three or four months there. And uh, all that he is doing here is really, as I said, ushering him toward the cross. And he has to go away for a time because actually they attempt to kill him. They try to stone him because uh, in the passage just after where we were at last week, they came and said, tell us plainly, how long do you make us doubt? And he asserts his deity. He says, I am equal to God. I am God. And they try to stone him. They try to kill him. And it was about that time that he leaves uh, the area of Jerusalem and goes out of Judea. And so he's going to be spending some time outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, and he's going to be spending some time talking with his disciples and, and basically shepherding his sheep. Last week, what we looked at was, uh, well, two weeks ago, I need to get myself on track here. Two weeks ago, Jesus healed the blind man, and the religious leaders threw the blind man out of the synagogue, uh, disassociated him from the Jewish faith. Basically, they uh, excommunicated him, okay? And Jesus was willing to welcome him in. He met him and welcomed him into the fold. And last week, Jesus' response to that action on the part of the Pharisees was that he told two parables relating to sheep and the shepherds. His sheep were following him, and he was going to take good care of them. That's what happened with this blind man. Uh, he was led out of one fold into the other. He had went from the the shepherds of the house of Israel to the good shepherd, okay? And so we saw last week that Jesus is the good shepherd. He came the right way. He fulfilled all the promises and the prophecies that show us that he is who he said that he was. Uh, he claimed the right sheep. Those that responded to his voice and followed him became his fold, became his flock. He closed them in securely. Uh, no man can pluck them out of his hand. Uh, he is protecting them. He has taken the responsibility as the shepherd. If anything happens to the sheep, it is the shepherd's responsibility, okay? And then he cared for them supremely. He made sure that they had everything that they, ne they needed and that they were safe from all uh, enemies. And so uh, the challenge for us last week is for us to see how great our shepherd is and to make sure that we continue following him, Okay. We have a good shepherd. Why would we not stay close to him? 
And so today we're leaving John. And like I said, after his statements about uh, being the good shepherd, he had this run in with the religious leaders where he claimed deity, said that he was God, and they attempted to kill him. He left Jerusalem. And so he led his flock from that large fold in Jerusalem and spent some time feeding and caring for them in the wilderness. And as I said, we're in his final three or four months as he is planning and preparing for his departure. He's going to be teaching them several parables. He's going to be telling them different things. And most of these are about choosing him and remaining faithful to him. He is showing that he is the good shepherd. He is showing them that he is the, the good householder, the good master, all these things, and challenging them to follow him and to remain faithful because he's going to come back after them. And so that brings us to our passage that we're at today in Luke. And as Jesus is teaching, he's accumulating a crowd. And as that crowd is building, as he's building this flock in the wilderness, it isn't the moral and the religious group. It's publicans and sinners that are coming to him. And we find that his sheep are hearing his voice. And it's not the flock that people had expected it to be. Okay? And so whenever we come to chapter 15, I'll go ahead and read uh, the first two verses for context. And then we are going to skip down just a little bit here. Told you all to turn to chapter 15. I'm still in chapter 7, I think. Okay. So in chapter 15, verse number 1, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, the idea of the, the publicans and sinners, they were the most hated group. The publicans were the tax collectors. They had left their Jewish roots, and they were working for the Roman government. Okay, So they were hated by the Jews. The ones that are claimed to be sinners here, uh, the publicans and sinners, they are the ones who've given up on the Jewish religion. Okay, They said, basically, we can't keep the law. We can't keep jumping through all the hoops that the scribes and the Pharisees are putting before us. And so they basically just said, we're done trying. And those are the ones that are lumped together as sinners. And so the publicans and sinners, they were done with the Jews. They were done with the religion, but they liked Jesus. And so they were flocking to him, resorting to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, this is the religious leaders, they are upset about it. It says they are murmuring, they are complaining, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And Jesus responds by telling a few parables. Uh, and we're not going to look at all of these, but he starts out by telling about things that are lost. He talks about the lost sheep and how the shepherd is willing to leave the 99 and to seek out that one that is went astray, that he values that one sheep. He talks about a lost coin, a woman having... 10 pieces of silver and she loses one and she sweeps the house and she lights a candle. And she's looking everywhere high and low for this one coin that she lost, even though she had nine more. And then we come to the parable of the lost son. And he's increasing in importance here from the sheep to the coin to the son. Okay. And the lesson that he's trying to get across to these religious leaders is the people who they disdained, the people who they saw no value in, he placed great value in them, okay? And so he tells the story that we often call the prodigal son. So let's look at Luke chapter 15, and we'll start in verse number 11. Verse number 11. And I'm going to read this, this entire story, so bear with me. 
But verse number 11, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent, excuse me, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill him, or kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry." Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came, he drew nigh to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, and is found. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you once again. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for the teachings in it, and Lord, how it brings great clarity to us. Lord, I know that uh, through religion, through traditions, through so many things, we have uh, muddied up your word. We've made it unclear, and Lord, I just pray as we uh, attempt to refocus here, Lord, that you would help us to see clearly from your word. Help us to course correct in the places that we've went wrong and help us, Lord, to focus on you and do the things that are pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would trust in you. If there's one who has uh, wandered astray, if there's a sheep that has went away, we thank you that you you pursue after that one that has went astray. We just pray that they would come back to you. We just thank you so much for all that you do. Ask you, Lord, just to guide me, give me clarity of mind and of speech. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. So as we look at this passage today, to the sinner and the struggling saint, this is a beautiful story. We look at the story of the prodigal son and how the father welcomes him back in and what a beautiful picture that is. 
But to the scribes and the Pharisees, this would have been a repulsive story. This would have been something that they would not have liked at all. In their culture, there is no way that a father would allow such disrespect, let alone reward it. And so as Jesus is telling this story to the scribes and the Pharisees, it would have been completely ridiculous to them. And so as you look at this story of what's going on, the younger son comes to his father and says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting on you to die. Give me your stuff now while I'm young enough to enjoy it. That's pretty bold, isn't it? And so rather than the dad putting him in his place and saying, hold on, you're not getting a penny until I'm dead, he says, okay. And he divides his inheritance, gives the younger brother his, but it says he divides it unto them. He also gives the older brother his inheritance. So the children get their inheritance while the father is still alive. And not long after that, the younger son says, I'm taking my stuff. I'm leaving the father's house. I'm getting out of his care. I'm getting out of his sight. And I'm going to go and live the way I want to live. So it says he goes to a far country out from his father's oversight. And he parties hard. He lives it up. And he wastes every bit of the money that he has. And so after the money is gone, of course, the friends are gone too. And it says that there is a famine that comes in the country. And he has no money, he has no friends, and he is broke, and he is starving, and he's trying to figure out what to do. So he joins himself to a citizen of the land. So a Jew working for a Gentile. Now that's offensive to the Jews. Not only that, but the type of work that he's doing, he is feeding pigs, which are unclean animals that the Jews would have no part of. So he's feeding pigs, and if that wasn't bad enough, he is so hungry that he is eating the pig's slop. I mean, this would have been something that was so repulsive to the Jews, this would have probably made them sick at their stomachs to think of a Jew doing something like this, okay? But it says whenever he came to himself, he had a moment of revelation here. He finally woke up, and he says, wait, what am I doing here? He says, even my father's servants are living better than what I am. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've messed up too bad but just hire me on as one of your servants and let me repay you for what I wasted. And that was his whole plan. That's what he was going to do. He rehearsed it the whole way home. But as he was coming into sight, whenever he first came into view, it says he was still a great way off. His father was looking for him. And his father went running out to him and hugged his neck and kissed him. And the, the boy started his rehearsed speech. He started to say it, but the father doesn't let him get it all out. And instead, he stops him and says, wait a minute, this is my son that was gone and he's home. I thought he was dead. He's alive again. Give him everything. Give him the robe. Give him the ring. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. And so they begin to celebrate. Things are going really well. The son never expected this kind of reception. He knew the father was good, but he didn't know he was this good. And so whenever the older brother, who's probably been out tending the sheep or working the fields, is coming in for the night... He hears dancing and music and celebrating. And he says, wait, it's not a holiday. It's not a festival. Why is the party going on? He calls for one of the servants, and the servant says, your brother has returned. And so the older brother says, and why are we celebrating? You know, we should be punishing him. We should be beating him. We should be flogging him. He has 
abused our father's goodness. He has soiled his name. He has done all these things to ruin our dad's reputation. Why are we celebrating? And so he stays outside. He stays out in the field. He refuses to come into the house. And whenever the father hears about this, he comes out and he starts reasoning with his older son. He starts telling him of the love that he has for both sons and how glad he is that the son has returned. And really, this boy gets pretty rough with his dad. He disowns his own brother. He says, your son. He doesn't say my brother. He says, your son. That's done all these things. Why are we parting? I've been faithful. I've done all of these things. I have never disobeyed you. And yet you've never threw a party for me. And we come to the end of the the passage here, and there's no resolution. He leaves off here with the father talking to the older son outside of the house, and we have no idea if the older son ever came to his senses, if the older son ever got right. We have no idea. And the reason for that is the passage that we're reading, we always focus on the prodigal. We always focus on the younger son, but the entire purpose of this passage is the older son. Because as Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he is talking as the father did with the older son. The scribes and the Pharisees were angry that God was extending mercy and he was being patient and loving and caring to the publicans and the sinners. They were the older son in the story. And so as we look at this passage, I want to look a little bit closer at each of the characters, and I want to look at the father and see how he responds to these two sons, because I believe it is extremely instructive for us. There's a lot for us to learn from this passage, because we are in this passage somewhere, okay? There's application for us. And so obviously the first one that we're going to look at in this is the prodigal. We're going to look at the prodigal son. We're familiar with the story, right? We often focus on him, but... Whenever we first are introduced to this boy, he is requesting the father's blessings. He wants the things that belongs to the father. He doesn't care for the father. He definitely doesn't value the relationship that he has with the father. He only wants what the father can give him. He doesn't care for his presence. He doesn't care for his direction. He doesn't care for his advice or his oversight. He wants to do his life his own way. That is where the prodigal was whenever we first found him. And we like to try to identify in this story, and I've seen different debates and read different commentaries and things. Everyone wants to debate who was saved and who was lost. Anyone ever seen that in this passage? Okay. Everyone wants to try to identify, but here's the thing. This isn't about saved and lost. This isn't about which one of them were right and which one was wrong. But what it is is we can see that both the saved and the lost can be guilty of this younger brother, this prodigal mindset. Whenever we look at God and we we try to uh, try to figure out who He is, I guess we try to figure out our standing with Him. Many people are looking at God at only for His blessings and His benefits. They're not after a relationship. They're not after His care. They don't care anything about obedience. They say, "I'm here and I want everything that I can get from God." You look at the world around us, people care nothing about God until there is a need, and then they're praying, right? They care nothing about God until there's something lacking in their life, until there's some moment of uncertainty in their life, and then they're seeking after God. 
They want all of the benefits of living on his earth. They want all of the benefits of being uh, in this place that he has made, of enjoying his creation, but they don't want any of the burden of living under his household, being amongst his rules, and having his oversight. And so instead, they take the things that he has given, they take all the blessings that he has provided, and they try to live life their own way. And like I said, this is doesn't matter if you're saved or you're lost, this is what a lot of people do. And you say, okay, I want to do what I want to do. I want to enjoy this thing. I want to live it up. I'm going to take the breath that he's given, the heart that he is continuing beating, the beautiful creation that surrounds me. He's given me food. He's given me clothing. He's given me drink. He's given me all the wonderful things of this life. But yet I don't care about any of that. I don't care about what God has. I only care about what I can get from him. Unfortunately, many Christians fall into the same trap or they're guilty of this attitude as well, that yes, I want saved. I want uh, I want fire insurance, basically. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want God to tell me how to live while I'm here. I don't want God's principles. I don't want his word. I don't want to have to follow after the path that he has for me. I want to live life my own way. And so there's many Christians today that are carnal Christians. There's many lost people who believe in God, but they only want the benefits and they're like this prodigal son. But what we find about him is not only did he uh, request the father's benefits, he also resided in the hog pen. He resided in the hog pen. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Right? Also tells us that there is pleasure and sin for a season. And it also tells us the principle that we reap what we sow. And so what ends up happening whenever we live according to our flesh, whenever we play according to the world's rules, whenever we say, I don't care what God has to say, I don't care what his word has to say, I'm going to do what I want to do, where that ends up at is where this boy ended up at. It ends up in the hog pen, Right? It's guaranteed because the wages of sin is death, because a man reaps what he sows. And so if you live contrary to God's will, if you live contrary to God's word, you will reap, and with that comes the hog pen. And there's plenty of people in the world that say, hey, I've been living according to my own way, according to my own rules. I've been doing my own thing, and everything's working out just fine. And it may appear that way on the outside, but inside... <laughs> They are hungry, and they are broken, just like this boy in the hog pen. Many people who have tried to play the world's game, they have tried to live by the world's riches, they have tried to live outside of God and away from Him. There is no satisfaction in that. There is no fulfillment in that, because we are created for a relationship with God. We are created to live according to His instructions, and we are created for his glory. And whenever we exist outside of that, there is going to be emptiness, there's going to be brokenness, there is going to be a void that we cannot fill, and we end up in the hog pen. And so for the lost man who has rejected God and wants his benefits but does not want a relationship with him, he may wallow in the hog pen, he may eat the husks, he may do all of those things, but there is a day of reckoning that comes. But for the believer, for the Christian, we cannot sin successfully. 
We cannot live in wickedness successfully because ultimately God loves us. And the Bible tells us that if we be without chastening, then are we bastards and not sons. He wants his children under his care, under his protection, because he is the good shepherd and he is a good father. He doesn't want to see his children out ruining their lives. He doesn't want to see us falling into destruction. And so there is a time of reckoning and we end up in the hog pen. There's a lot of people today that are stubbornly staying in the hog pen, stubbornly hanging on. It's amazing to me that this boy, whenever he was out in this foreign land, whenever he was out in the far country, whenever everything ran out, whenever the famine came, he was so stubborn about going back to the father that he was willing to subject himself to that. Does anyone want to live with the pigs? I mean, does anyone want to, have you ever been around pigs? Have you ever seen the things that they eat? Even here in Ireland, there's plenty of piggeries. There's plenty of places where they raise pigs. Do you ever see them? Do you know why you never see them? They stink. And they put them far away from anywhere where you're going to be at. There's been a few times in our travels, like on Sunday afternoons, a lot of times we'll go out and we'll just travel on back roads. And all of a sudden we start smelling something. You know, these little one-lane roads in the middle of nowhere, we start smelling something. It's a piggery. You don't want to be around the pigs. And so this boy was stubborn. He was desperately clinging on to go by the world's ways, trusting in uh, his own means to keep himself going rather than going back to the father. But his stubbornness only lasted for so long, didn't it? And so he finally repented of his sins. In verses 17 and 18, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. What he said here is, my way has not been a good way. My way has not been uh, fulfilling. My way has not been successful. And so he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And he goes into the whole thing about trying to make restitution to his father. That's his plan. But he came to himself. He had a a... Revelation, if you will. What this means is he had a change of mind. He repented. He said, the father is good and I have sinned against him and I deserve to pay for what I have done. I'm going to go to the father and I'm going to seek mercy. And that's where all of us need to get to. That's where all of us have, that's how a person is saved is realizing that we have messed up, is realizing that we have sinned and that we deserve punishment, but we have a good Father that we can come to and that we can throw ourselves upon His mercy. It's a change of mind about ourself, about our sin, and about our Savior. That's what repentance is. And so we come to Him and come to God and say, I'm a sinner, I deserve judgment, but I'm trusting you to forgive my sins and to pay for my sins. And that's the moment of salvation. But that's not just for the sinner, but it's also for the saint. Because for us, we still mess up. We've, we kind of clarified that in Sunday school. There's things that we struggle with. There's problems that we still uh, deal with. The Bible says if we say that we are without sin, we are a liar. We deceive ourselves. It says that we are still, even after salvation, we still have things that we struggle with. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not, and that, that I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul says, I'm still struggling. I'm still sinning. And so what do we do? 
just like in salvation, we still come back to our good father, confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he repented of his sins. And ultimately, he was received of the Father. I think this is one of the things that keep us away. We're afraid of what the Father is going to do. We're afraid of how he's going to respond, right? We mess up and just, I know just casually throughout my life, throughout the week, throughout whatever, I mess up. I, I don't do something that I should have. I fail to do something uh, that I should have or I do something that I shouldn't have, okay? And then the devil's whispering in your ear and saying, what's God going to say about that? Look at what you've done. Look at how you failed. And he keeps you away. Is that not what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve? Satan tempted Eve and said, if you eat of the tree, you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. You can do your own thing. You can go your own way. You don't need God. You can leave his house, right? And then whenever she, she ate of it, she gave Adam. They realized they were naked. They were ashamed. And they hid from God saying, what's God going to do to us? And then whenever they confessed their sin, God covered their sin. He gave them a sacrifice. Something else died in their place to give them life, right? And so whenever he returned to his father's house, his father received him. He had done absolutely nothing to deserve it. That's something I want to highlight in this. The brother didn't come with his payment. He didn't come with penance. He wasn't bringing an offering of restitution. He wasn't put on probation. He didn't do anything whatsoever. He was a total mess. He probably still stunk like the pig pen. But he was received of the Father. And so I love the story of the prodigal because we all are prodigal from time to time. We all stray, as the song says, prone to wonder, right? But whenever we realize how good our Father is, we come back and he receives us time after time. But then whenever we look at the second brother here, this is the one that's usually overlooked. But in all reality, as I said, he's the main character of this story. And he is a picture of the Pharisee. He didn't ask for the inheritance. He worked hard. He did what he was supposed to. But still, his heart wasn't right with his brother or with his father. Right? He was relying on his works. He thought that because he did his part, because he worked hard, because he obeyed the father, because he played by all of the rules, because he was a good servant, he thought that he was all right. And he paid no attention to the goodness of the father, but prided himself on what he did. It wasn't about the father. It wasn't about all that the father had done for him. It was about what he had done for the father. The spotlight was on himself. And it was his whole identity. His whole identity was based on what he did and what he didn't do. And he didn't have a relationship with his father. He served for reward. And that summarizes most of religion today and really even much of Christianity. It is a system of saying, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And if I cross my T's and I dot my I's, I keep all of the rules, I, I do all of these things, then the Father has to reward me. Then the Father is going to be happy with me. 
It wasn't about a relationship. It was about the rules. It wasn't about the things that the father, who the father was and what the father did. It was about the son and about what the son did. And the way that plays out is people who are constantly focusing on their performance rather than on their Savior, that are focusing on doing everything right, thinking that their salvation and their Christian life is dependent upon doing all of the right things. And so this is what the older brother was doing. He was relying on these things. And if we're not careful as Christians, we get sucked into this trap. And we start thinking, I've got to keep the rules. I've got to do all of these different things. I've got to serve in all these different ways. And we quit relating to the Father. And instead, we are more like servants or slaves to the Father. The relationship is severed. And so as a result of him going based on his performance, instead of him enjoying the relationship with the Father, instead of him relating to his brother based upon their relationship, their family ties to one another, he reviled his brother. He hated his brother. In verse number 30, he says, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed the fatted calf. Can you hear his voice just dripping with hatred and animosity toward his brother? Your son. We, we have no record that he was devouring his, his living with harlots. He said, he's down there spending your money on prostitutes. That's what he thought of his brother. I can imagine the smile that crossed his face and the pride that was in his heart whenever he thought, I'm the good son. I stayed. I served. I never caused dad any problems. I didn't cause him any shame. I've been working in the fields from daylight to dark. I've been a model son. I didn't run off. I didn't shame my father. I didn't waste my inheritance. I'm the good son. Comparison and contrast. That is the way of the Pharisee. That is the way of the older brother. He despised his brother that wasted his dad money, his dad's money on such foolish things. He says, I'm glad I'm not like him. And so he looks at him as what a wicked person he is. And basically he looks at his brother and he says he deserves what he gets. He deserves punishment. He deserves death. Let him stay in the hog pen, right? And so for himself, he said, I deserve awards. I deserve recognition. Everyone look at me. Look at what I've done. And when that doesn't come, he was mad about it. When that doesn't come, he was angry at his brother. He's also angry at his father. When God blesses someone that's not as good as us, we get upset about it and say, what about me, God? How can you do this to me? And so that brings us to the final thing about this older brother is that he ended up resenting the father. He reviled the brother. He resented the father. And though he was pretending to be angry with the brother, for how he had treated the father, he was just as disrespectful toward him. Did you catch that in the things that he said? He's speaking to his father in a way that was definitely disrespectful. He says, look at all that I have done for you. You've taken me for granted. You haven't rewarded me. You've mistreated me. You have treated my brother as if he was the favorite. 
and he's accusing the father of being unfair toward him. He's saying, you're not fair. I deserve better. Look at all I've done, and you've never even acknowledged it. And now you bless him and give him what I deserve? See, if we work for God's favor, if we rely on our good deeds, our religiosity, we become entitled. You ever hear someone say, I went to church, I gave offerings, I did all these things, and still God let this happen to me. Or have you ever had that attitude yourself? It lets you know that you have a little bit of this older brother mentality. Right? I deserve this because of how good I've been. I'm doing all these things in order to receive something from the Father rather than because of who the Father is. So I've done this or that or the other. How could you let this happen to me? That's the older brother. But the last thing that I want to look at is the father. Obviously, the father is a picture of Jesus, is a picture of God. And his mercy, his love, and his compassion. And as I said already, in this story, the father is outrageous from a human perspective. Because man can't comprehend having the compassion and the love that the Father has bestowed upon someone so undeserving and so unworthy as this prodigal. Honestly, if we look at what this younger son has done, as what this prodigal has done, there is no way we would treat him the way that this father treated him. Right? Even with the love of a parent, to welcome him back and not even rebuke him, not even correct him, not even say anything, but just welcome him back as if something had ever never happened. You know, we can forgive, we can't forget. And there's going to always be this thing. I know my, my kids can testify to this. If I tell my kids something, I say, don't do this, they do it anyway and they get hurt doing it. You know what my response is? That's what you get. I told you, Right? There's no I told you so is with the Father. And so we find with the Father, he's generous with his blessings. He gave to both of his children the things that he had provided. These two boys did not work for the inheritance. It was freely given to them. He gave them all of his blessings. He gave them all of these things that were his, right? And he was generous with his blessings, and there was no strings attached. He didn't say, okay, son, I'll give you the inheritance if you do X, Y, and Z. He didn't say, I'll give it to you, but you have to stay here. You have to work at the family business. You have to sign this contract. You have to do No, he said, here it is. And he let him go. He was generous with it. People throw out hate and criticism toward God, try to say that he is unfair, that he is unloving, or that he's unkind. But the truth of the matter is, he is good to all men, whether they love him or not, or whether they even uh, even fail to acknowledge his existence, he still is good to them. And in spite of his goodness, they still reject and they still deny, but yet he is still good to them. Not only that, it says that he's not willing that any should perish. The most wicked and the most vile offenders, he still loves, he's still generous toward. He's willing to forgive anyone, even while he was on the cross, Jesus looked at the, the ones who put him there, the ones that had beat him, the ones that had mocked him, the ones that had, uh, had told him, if you be the son of God, come off, your, uh, off there. The ones that had put the, the marks on his back, the ones that end up piercing his side, he looked at them and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
to the thief that was railing against him, that was mocking and making fun of him. Whenever that thief says, remember me whenever you enter your kingdom, he says, this day will you be with me in paradise. It doesn't matter how they have mistreated him, how they have sinned against him, all the things that they've done wrong, he is still generous toward them and blesses them with all the great things of his creation, allows them to live on his planet, breathe his oxygen, enjoy his creation, and yet they reject him. And so he's generous with his blessings. He's grieved with our sins. He's grieved with our sins. I said I'm not the most compassionate whenever uh, whenever my kids do things that I tell them not to do, and they reap the consequences of it. I say, that's what you get. And so for this father, whenever the son comes back and says, I blew all of your money. I've wasted it all. I ended up with the pigs. I still stink. Well, that's what you had coming to you. He comes to him and says, oh, dad, if you'll just give me a job, I will work off all that I owe. Like, okay, it's going to take you a while. Wouldn't that be our response to it? But it wasn't God's. Anyway, God was grieved over their sins. He cared for his young for his younger son, and he was watching for him to return. This is something that's amazing for me. Whenever it says, while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. What that tells me is the father never lost hope. He never forgot about that younger son. He was waiting and watching for him to return home. And as soon as he as soon as he turned back toward him, as soon as he was coming toward the house, he ran out to meet him. No doubt this man had shed tears. He had prayed for this boy. He had longed for the day for this boy to return. He was grieved over his son's departure, but he couldn't go into the far country to get him because until that boy desired to be with the father, he couldn't make him come home. He loved him. He wanted him. But until the son chose the father, the father just had to grieve, right? He also cared for the older one as seen by him leaving all the celebration and tenderly reasoning with him and trying to win him over to himself. And so both brothers had hurt the father and the father was grieved over the strained relationship. The older brother was accusing the father. He was disrespectful to the father. It grieved him. The younger one had rejected him. It grieved him. And in both cases, he was going out and he was running after his sons. He was trying to get them to come back to him. He was going for them. And that's amazing to me how much effort God has put forth into bringing us to himself. Have you ever thought about all that God has done to make a way of salvation? If you realize as you read through this book, from the beginning to the end of it, it is telling about God's work to redeem mankind. You ever realize that? All of the Old Testament was God putting things in order to bring about a family that Jesus could be born from so that he could go to the cross and die. That's what the whole Old Testament is, is God preparing for that birth in the manger and that death on the cross. God put a lot of effort into that plan. He put a lot of thought into that. He goes after his children. He leaves the 90 and 9 for the one. He sweeps the house looking for the one coin that was lost. He is watching that son to return from the far country, and he is pleading with that, that Pharisee 
to come to him and to seek after a relationship instead of just playing by the rules. He is pursuing after his children. Now, so does it say that the older brother ever went inside with the father? Because we're still waiting to see if the Pharisee is going to turn to him or not. But here's the thing. He's going after him. He's desiring to see them saved. Just imagine, if you will, all the times that they tried to kill Jesus, all the times that they called him, uh, they called him the devil. They said that he cast out demons by Beelzebub. They called him a, um, they called him an illegitimate son and a Samaritan. They called they called him all kinds of things, right? And yet he's still continuing to deal with them. He's trying to get them to accept him, trying to get them to come back home all the way through this. Then the last thing that we find about the father is that he grants forgiveness immediately. He goes after his children and he grants forgiveness immediately. As I've said several times already, the prodigal had his speech memorized. I don't know how many times he repeated it on his journey from the far country, but he says, I'm going to come to my father and I'm going to throw myself down on the ground. I'm going to bow down toward him. That was a sign of respect in Oriental culture. I'm going to throw myself down on the ground. I'm going to say, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. Let me repay my debt to you. And maybe eventually I can be restored to sonship whenever I show myself worthy. That's his idea. But whenever he gets there, he doesn't have a chance to go through all of that. He says, I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father says, good enough for me. You are worthy. Give him my best robe. Give him the ring on his hand. We're going to throw a party. We're going to celebrate. And my son is home. Not my servant. Right? Not my banished. Not my punished. My son is now home. And we're going to celebrate. And so he doesn't require any guilt, shame, repayment. There's no lecture. There's no probationary period. He forgave him. He restored him. And he celebrated with him. And so it wasn't about what the son had done, but who the father was. And so the father was willing to take on himself all of the guilt, all of the shame, because in that society, whenever the people of that country heard what the son did and the father's response to it, they would have reviled the father. This would have been a shame. This would have been a reproach on the father. And the father said, I am willing to take all of the shame. I'm willing to take all the reproach. I'm willing to take on myself all the things that the people around is going to say about me as long as I have my son back with me. He took the shame and reproach on himself and he reconciled with the Son. And that's what God does for us. Whenever we come to Him, whenever we realize that we have sinned against Him, and we are worthy of judgment, but we serve a good Father, and we come to Him, confess our sins, He forgives us, He restores us, He cleanses us, no strings attached. There's no purgatory. There's no penance. None of that stuff. He restores us as soon as we turn back to him. That's it. And so I'm thankful for that. And so in concluding this passage and concluding our study on this, throughout our lives, we're going to fall into probably both of these categories. 
we sin against God, we do our own thing, we go out into the hog pen. Remember how good our God is and return back to him. There's no need for us to stay in the hog pen. Okay? Now that doesn't give us license to go out and live and say, oh, well, God will forgive us because you misunderstand the goodness of God and his love, if that's your idea. This boy said, my father is merciful and he is kind and he is good. I'm going to go back and willingly submit myself. I'm going to go back and serve him. He's not saying, oh, dad's a sucker. I can do whatever I want. Okay? And so for us as Christians, whenever we sin, whenever we go our own way, come to yourself, turn back to the Father, and return to his house. Right? And for us, whenever we fall into this category of the older brother, when we become a little pharisaical, we start looking at ourselves, our good works, I dress right, I smell right, I say the right things, I go to church, I give an offering, I do all these different things. Look at how great I am. And we start looking down our nose at the people around us. We start looking at the sinners, the ones who are suffering, the ones who are far away, and we disdain them and we look down on them without realizing the Father loves them the same as He loves us. Right? See, it's not about what you do, it's that you have a relationship with Him. And if you love the Father, and if you are walking with Him, then your actions are going to line up with it as well. But it doesn't matter if you do all the right things if your heart's not right with God. And so that's our lesson for us today. That's our our challenge for us today. Know how good the Father is and treasure your relationship with Him. Stay close to Him. Don't go off in the world And don't get stuck up in legalism and Phariseeism. Stay close to the Lord, follow Him, love Him, and allow Him to work in and through you. And He can make you what He would have you to be as you're walking with Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we've been in today, Lord, for this parable that you give about the prodigal. And Lord, I know that it's easy for us to to fall into both of these ways of thinking, Lord. But, Lord, help us to put our focus, our attention on you. Help us, Lord, to treasure you and your love and to to be your children above all things. Lord, if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to themselves, they would turn from the hog pen, and they would turn to you and receive that forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I pray if there's a, a believer here that has been wandering away in the far country, that today they would turn back to you. And, Lord, if any of us are are feeling pretty sufficient in ourselves, thinking that we are doing pretty well with this Christian life and looking down on others. I pray, Lord, help us to humble ourselves and, Lord, realize that nothing that we have, nothing that we ever will be, is because of ourselves, it's because of you. Lord, we do love you, we thank you, we praise you for all that you are and all that you do. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.